Chapter Two of Farewell to Nicola by Guy Boothby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. Whether it was our excursion upon the canal that was responsible for it, I cannot say. The fact, however, remains that the next morning every member of our party was late for breakfast. My wife and I were the first to put in an appearance. Glenbarth followed shortly after and Miss Trevor was last of all. It struck me that the girl looked a little pale as she approached the window to bid me good morning, and as she prided herself upon her punctuality, I jestingly reproved her for the late rising. I'm afraid your gondola excursion proved too much for you, I said in a bantering tone, or perhaps you dreamt of Dr. Nicola. I expected her to declare in her usual vehement fashion that she would not waste her time dreaming of any man, but to my combined astonishment and horror, her eyes filled with tears until she was compelled to turn her head away in order to hide them from me. It was all so unexpected that I did not know what to think. As may be supposed, I had not the slightest intention of giving her pain, nor could I quite see how I managed to do so. It was plain, however, that my thoughtless speech had been the means of upsetting her, and I was heartily sorry for my indiscretion. Fortunately, my wife had not overheard what had passed between us. Is he teasing you again, Gertrude, she said, as she slipped her arm through her friends. Take my advice and have nothing to do with him. Treat him with contempt. Besides, the coffee is getting cold, and that is a very much more important matter. Let us sit down to breakfast. Nothing could have been more opportune. We took our places at the table, and by the time the servant had handed the first dishes, Miss Trevor had recovered herself sufficiently to be able to look me in the face and to join in the conversation without the likelihood of a catastrophe. Still, there can be no doubt she was far from being in a happy frame of mind. I said as much to my wife afterwards when we were alone together. She told me she had a very bad night, the little woman replied. Our meeting with Dr. Nicholly yesterday on the piazza it upset her for some reason or another. She said that she dreamt of nothing else. As you know, she is very highly strung and when you think of the descriptions we have given her of him it is scarcely to be wondered that she should attach an exaggerated importance to our unexpected meeting with him that is the real explanation of the mystery one thing however is quite certain in her present state of mind she must see no more of him than could be helped it might upset her altogether oh why did he come here to spoil our holiday I cannot see that he has spoilt it, my dear, I returned, putting my arm round her waist and leading her to the window. The girl will very soon recover from her fit of depression, and afterwards will be as merry as a marriage bell. By the way, I don't know why I should think of it just now. Talking of marriage bells reminds me that Glen Bath told me last night that he thought Gertrude one of the nicest girls he had ever met. I am delighted to hear it, my wife answered, and still more delighted to think that he had such a good sense. Do you know, I have set my heart upon that coming to something. No, you needn't shake your head. For very many reasons, it would be a most desirable match. For my own part, I believe it was for no other reason that you bothered me into inviting him to join our party here. You are a matchmaker. I challenge you to refute the accusation. I shall not attempt to do so, she retorted with considerable hauteur. It is always a waste of time to argue with you. At any rate, you must agree with me that Gertrude would make an ideal duchess. 
so you have travelled as far as that have you i inquired i must say that you jumped to conclusions very quickly because glenbarth happens to have said in confidence to me a confidence i am willing to admit i have shamefully abused that he considers gertrude trevor a very charming girl it does not follow that he has the very slightest intention of asking her to be his wife why should he if he doesn't he is not fit to sit in the house of lords she answered as if that ought to clench the argument fancy a man posing as one of our hereditary legislators who doesn't know how to seize such a golden opportunity as a good churchwoman i pray for the nobility every sunday morning and if not knowing where to look for the best wife in the world may be taken as a weakness and it undoubtedly is then all i can say is that they require all the praying for they can get but i should like to know how is he going to marry the best wife in the world i asked by asking her she retorted he doesn't surely suppose she's going to ask him if he values his life he'd better not do that i said savagely he will have to answer for it to me if he does ah she answered her lips curling i thought as much you're jealous of him you don't want him to ask her because you fancy that if he does your reign will be over nice admission for a married man i must say i presume you mean because i refuse to allow him to flirt with my wife i mean nothing of the kind and you know it how dare you say dick that i flirt with the duke because you have confessed it i answered with a grin of triumph for i had got her a corner at last did you not say only a moment ago that if he did not know where to find the best wife in the world he was unfit to sit in the house of lords did you not say that he ought to be ashamed of himself if he did not ask her to be his wife answer that my lady i admit i did say it but you know very well that i referred to gertrude trevor gertrude trevor is not yet a wife the best wife in the world is beside me now and since you are already proved to be in the wrong you must perforce pay the penalty she was in the act of doing so when gertrude entered the room oh dear she began hesitating in pretended consternation is there never to be an end of it end of what demanded my wife with some little asperity for she does not like her little endearments to be witnessed by other people of this billing and cooing the other replied you two insane creatures have been married more than four years and yet a third person can never enter the room without finding you love-making i declare it upsets all of one's theories of marriage one of my most cherished ideas was this sort of thing ceased with the honeymoon and the couple invariably lead a cat-and-dog life for the remainder of their existence so they do my wife answered unblushingly and what can you expect when one is a great silly creature who will not learn to jump away and be looking innocently out of the window when he hears the handle turned never marry gertrude mark my words you will repent it if you do well for ingratitude and cool impudence that surpasses everything i said in astonishment why you audacious creature not more than five minutes ago you were inviting me to co-operate in the noble task of finding a husband for miss trevor richard how can you stand there and say such things she ejaculated gertrude my dear i insist that you come away at once i don't know what he will say next miss trevor laughed i like to hear you two squabbling she said please go on it amuses me yes i will certainly go on i returned perhaps you heard her declare that she fears what i might say next of course she does allow me to tell you lady hatteras that you are a coward if the truth were known it would be found that you are trembling in your shoes at this moment the two centimes paid down i would turn queen's evidence and reveal the whole plot you had better not sir she replied shaking a warning finger at me 
in that case the letters from home shall be withheld from you and you will not know how your son and heir is progressing i capitulate i answered threatened by such awful punishment i dare say no more miss gertrude will you not intercede for me i think you scarcely deserve it she retorted even now you are keeping something back from me never mind my dear we'll let him off this time with a caution said my wife providing he promises not to offend again now let us settle what we are going to do today when this important matter had been arranged it was reported to us that the ladies were to spend the morning shopping leaving the duke and myself free to follow our own inclinations accordingly when we had seen them safely on their way to the Massilia, we held a smoking council to arrange how we should pass the hours until lunchtime as we discovered afterwards we both had a certain thought in our minds which for some reason we scarcely liked to broach to each other it was settled however just as we desired but in a fashion we least expected we were seated in the balcony outside our room watching the animated traffic on the grand canal below when a servant came in search of us and handed me a note one glance at the characteristic writing was sufficient to show me that it was from dr nikola i opened it with an eagerness that i did not attempt to conceal and read as follows dear hatteras if you have nothing more important on hand this morning can you spare the time to come and see me as i understand the duke of denbath is with you would you not bring him also it'll be very pleasant to have a chat upon bygone days and what is more i fancy this old house will interest you yours very truly nikola what do you say i inquired when i had finished reading shall we go let us do so by all means the duke replied it will be very interesting to meet nikola once more there is one thing however that puzzles me how did he become aware of my arrival in venice you say he was with you on the piazza last night so that he could not have been at the railway station and as i haven't been outside since i came except for the row after dinner i confess it puzzles me you should know by this time that it is useless to wonder how nikola acquires his knowledge i replied for my own part i should like to discover his reason for being in venice i am very curious on that point glenbarth shook his head solemnly if nikola does not want us to know he argued we shall leave his house as wise as we entered it if he does let us know i shall begin to grow suspicious for in that case it's a thousand pounds to this half-smoked cigar that we should be called upon to render him assistance however if you are prepared to run the risk i will do so also in that case i said rising from my chair and tossing what remained of my cigar into the water below let's get ready and be off we may change our minds ten minutes later we had chartered a gondola and were on our way to the palace of Ravici. as a general rule when one sets out to pay a morning call one is not the victim of any particular nervousness on this occasion however both glenbarth and i as we confessed to each other afterwards were distinctly conscious of being in a condition which would be described by persons of mature years as an unpleasant state of expectancy but by which schoolboys is denominated funk the duke i noticed fidgeted with his cigar allowed it to go out and then sat with it in his mouth unlighted there was a faraway look on his handsome face that told me he was recalling some of the events connected with the time when he had been in nicholas company this proved to be the case for as we turned from the grand canal into the street in which the palace is situated 
he said by the way hatteras i wonder what became of baxter prendergrast and those other fellows nikola may be able to tell us i answered then i added after a short pause by jove what strange times those were not half so strange to my thinking as our finding nikola in venice glenbarth replied that is the coincidence that astonishes me see here we are as he spoke the gondola drew up at the steps of the palace of Levici, and we prepared to step ashore as we did so i noticed that the armorial bearings of the family still decorated the posts on either side of the door but by the light of day the palace did not look nearly so imposing as it had done by moonlight the night before one thing about it was certainly peculiar when we ordered the gondolier to wait for us he shook his head not for anything would he remain there longer than was necessary to set us down i accordingly paid him off and when we had descended the steps we entered the building on pushing open the door we found ourselves standing in a handsome courtyard in the centre of which was a well its coping elegantly carved with a design of fruit and flowers a broad stone staircase at the further end led up to the floor above but this as was the case with everything else showed unmistakable signs of having been allowed to fall into decay as no concierge was to be seen and there was no one in sight of whom we might make inquiries we scarcely knew how to proceed indeed we were just wondering whether we should take our chance and explore the lower regions in search of nikola when he appeared at the head of the staircase and greeted us good morning he said pray come up i must apologize for not having been downstairs to receive you by the time he had finished speaking he had reached us and was shaking hands with glenbarth with the heartiness of an old friend let me offer you a hearty welcome to venice he said to glenbarth after he had shaken hands with myself and looking at him once more he added if you will permit me to say so you have changed a great deal since we last saw each other and you scarcely at all glenbarth replied ah it is strange that i should not have done so nikola answered i thought a little sadly for i think i may say without any fear of boasting that since we parted at pipalanu i have passed through sufficient to change a dozen men but we will not talk of that here let us come up to my room which is the only place in this great house that is in the least degree comfortable so saying he led the way up the stairs and then along a corridor which had once been beautifully frescoed which was now sadly given over to damp and decay at last reaching a room in the front of the building he threw open the door and invited us to enter and here i might digress for a moment to remark that of all the men i have ever met nikola possessed the faculty of being able to make himself comfortable wherever he might be in the greatest degree he would have been at home anywhere as a matter of fact this particular apartment was finished in a style that caused me considerable surprise the room itself was large and lofty while the walls were beautifully frescoed the work of one andrea bunapelli of whom i shall have more to say anon the furniture was simple but extremely good a massive oak writing-table stood beside one wall another covered with books and papers was opposite it several easy chairs were placed here and there another table in the centre of the room supported various chemical paraphernalia while books of all sorts and descriptions in all languages and bindings were to be discovered in every direction 
after what you have seen of the rest of the house this strikes you as being more homelike does it not nikola inquired as he noticed the look of astonishment upon our faces it's a queer old place and the more i see of it the stranger it becomes some time ago and quite by chance i became acquainted with its history i do not mean the political history of the respective families that have occupied it you can find that in any guide-book i mean the real inner history of the house itself embracing not a few of the deeds which have taken place inside its walls i wonder if you'd be interested if i were to tell you that in this very room in the year fifteen hundred and eleven one of the most repellent and cold-blooded murders of the middle ages took place perhaps now that you have the scene before you you would like to hear the story you would in that case pray sit down let me offer you this chair duke he continued and as he spoke he wheeled forward a handsomely carved chair from beside his writing-table here hatteras is one for you i myself will take up my position here so that i may be better able to retain your attention for my narrative so saying he stood between us on the strip of polished floor which showed between the two heavy oriental rugs for some reasons he began i regret that the story i have to tell should run upon such familiar lines i fancy however that the denouement will prove sufficiently original to merit your attention the year fifteen hundred and nine the same which found the french victorious at agnadello and the venetian republic of the commencement of that decline from which it has never recovered saw this house in its glory the owner the illustrious francesco di rovici was a sailor and had the honour of commanding one of the many fleets of the republic he was an ambitious man good fighter and as such twice defeated the fleet of the league of camberi it was after the last of these victories that he married the beautiful daughter of the duke of lavano one of the most bitter enemies of the council of ten the husband being rich famous and still young enough to be admired for his personal attractions the bride one of the wealthiest as well as one of the most beautiful women in the republic it appeared as if all must be well with them for the remainder of their lives a series of dazzling fates to which all the noblest and most distinguished of the city were invited celebrated their nuptials and their possession of this house yet with it all the woman was perhaps the most unhappy individual in the universe unknown to her husband and her father she had long since given her love elsewhere she was passionately attached to young andrea bunapelli the man by whom the frescoes of this room were painted finding that fate demanded her renunciation of bunapelli and her marriage to rovici she resolved to see no more of the man to whom she had given her heart love however proved stronger than her sense of duty and while her husband by the order of the senate had put to sea once more in order to drive back the french who were threatening the adriatic bunapelli put into operation the scheme that was ultimately to prove their mutual undoing unfortunately for rovici he was not successful in his venture and by and by news reached venice that his fleet had been destroyed and that he himself had been taken prisoner now said the astute bunapelli is the time to act he accordingly took pens paper and his inkhorn and in this very room concocted a letter which purported to bear the signature of the commander of the french forces into whose hands the venetian admiral had fallen and then was its meaning was plain enough it 
proved that for a large sum of money revici had agreed to surrender the venetian fleet and in order to secure his own safety in the case the republic should lay hands on him afterwards it was supposed that he himself had only been taken prisoner after a desperate resistance as had really been the case the letter was written and that night the painter himself dropped it into the lion's mouth revici might return now as soon as he pleased his fate was prepared for him meanwhile the guilty pair spent the time as happily as it was possible under the circumstances knowing full well that should the man against whom they had plotted return to venice it would only be to find himself arrested and with the certainty on the evidence of the incriminating letter of being immediately condemned to death weeks and months went by at last revici worn almost to a skeleton by reason of his long imprisonment did manage to escape in the guise of a common fisherman he returned to venice reached his own house where a faithful servant recognized him and admitted him to the palace from the latter's lips he learnt all that had transpired during his absence and was informed of the villainous plot that had been prepared against him his wrath knew no bounds but with it all he was prudent he was aware that if his presence in the city were discovered nothing could save him from arrest he accordingly hid himself in his own house and watched the course of events what he saw was sufficient to confirm his worst suspicion his wife was unfaithful to him and her paramour was the man to whom he had been so kind a friend and so generous a benefactor then when the time was ripe assisted by only his servant the same who admitted him to his house he descended upon the unhappy couple under threats of instant death he extorted from them a written confession of their treachery after having made them secure he departed for the council chamber and demanded to be heard he was the victim of a conspiracy he declared and to prove that what he said was true he produced the confession he had that day obtained he had many powerful friends and by their influence an immediate pardon was granted him while permission was also given to him to deal with his enemies as he might consider most desirable he accordingly returned to this house with a scheme that he was prepared to put into instant execution it is not a pretty story but it certainly lends an interest to this room the painter he imprisoned here he pressed a spring in the wall so saying nicholas stopped and drew back one of the rugs to which i have already referred the square outline of a trap-door showed itself in the floor he pressed a spring in the wall behind him and the lid shot back swung round and disappeared showing the black abyss below a smell of damp vaults came up to us and then when he had closed the trap-door again nicola drew the carpet back to its old position the wretched man died slowly of starvation in that hole and the woman having in this room above was compared to listen to his agony without being permitted the means of saving him can you imagine the scene the dying wretch below doing his best to die like a man in order not to distress the woman he loved and the outraged husband calmly pursuing his studies regardless of both he looked from one to the other of us and his eyes burnt like living coals it was brutish it was hellish cried glambarth upon whom either the story or nicola's manner of narrating it had produced an extraordinary effect why did the woman allow it to continue was she mad that she did not summon assistance 
surely the authorities of a state which prided itself upon its enlightenment even in those dark ages would not have tolerated such a thing you must bear in mind the fact that the republic had given the husband permission to avenge his wrongs said nikola very quietly besides the woman could not cry out for the reason that her tongue had been torn out at the roots when both were dead their bodies were tied together and thrown into the canal and the same day revici set sail again to ultimately perish in a storm off the coast of sicily now you know one of the many stories connected with this old room there are others in which that trapdoor has played an equally important part i fear however that none of them can boast so dramatic a setting as that i have just narrated to you how knowing all this you can live in the house passes my comprehension gasped glenbarth i don't think i am a coward but i tell you candidly that i would not spend a night here after what you have told me anything the world could give me but surely you don't suppose that what happened in this room upwards of three hundred years ago could have any effect upon a living being to-day said nikola with what i could not help thinking was a double meaning let me tell you that far from being unpleasant it has decided advantages as a matter of fact it gives me the opportunity of being free to do what i like that is my greatest safeguard i can go away for five years if i please and leave the most valuable of my things lying about and come back to the discovery that nothing is missing i am not pestered by tourists who ask to see the frescoes for the simple reason that the guides take very good care not to tell them the legend of the house lest they may be called upon to take them over it many of the gondoliers will not stop here after nightfall and the few who are brave enough to do so invariably cross themselves before reaching and after leaving it i don't wonder at it i said taken altogether it's the most dismal dwelling i've ever set foot in do you mean to tell me you live alone in it not entirely he replied i have companions an old man who comes in once a day to attend to my simple wants and my ever faithful friend apollyon i cried forestalling what he was about to say exactly apollyon i'm glad to see that you remember him he uttered a low whistle and a moment later the great beast that i remembered so well stalked solemnly into the room and began to rub himself against the leg of his master's chair poor old fellow continued nikola picking him up and gently stroking him he's growing very feeble perhaps it is not to be wondered at for he is already far past the average age of the feline race he has been in many strange places and seen many queer things since we last met but never anything much stranger than he had witnessed in this room what do you mean i inquired what has the cat seen in this room that's so strange objects that we are not yet permitted to see nikola answered gravely when all is quiet at night when i am working at that table he lies curled up in yonder chair for a time he will sleep contentedly and i see him lift his head and watch something or somebody i cannot say which moving about the room at first i came to the conclusion it must be a bat or some night bird but that theory exploded bats do not remain in the same exact distance from the floor nor do they stand stationary behind a man's chair for any length of time the hour will come however when it will be possible for us to see these things i am on the track even now had i not known nikola and if i had not remembered some very curious experiments he had performed for my special benefit two years before i should have inclined to the belief that he was boasting 
i knew him too well however to deem it possible that he would waste his time in such an idle fashion do you mean to say i asked that you really think that in time it would be possible for us to see things which at present we have no notion of that we should be able to look into the world we have always been taught to consider unknowable i do mean it he replied and though you may scarcely believe it it was for the sake of information necessary to that end that i pestered mr wetherell in sydney imprisoned you in port said and carried the lady who is now your wife away to the island in the south seas this is most interesting i said while glenbarth drew his chair a little closer pray tell us some of your adventures since we last saw you he put in you may imagine how eager we are to hear them thereupon nikola furnished us with a detailed description of all that he had been through since that momentous day when he had obtained possession of the stick that had been bequeathed to mr wetherell by china pete he told us how armed with his talisman he had set out for china where he engaged a man named bruce who must have been as plucky as nikola himself and together they started off in search of an almost unknown monastery in Thibet. He described with a wealth of exciting detail the perilous adventures they had passed through, and how near they had been to losing their lives in the attempting to obtain possession of a certain curious book in which were set forth the most wonderful secrets relating to the laws of life and death. He told us of their hairbreadth escapes on the journey back to civilization and showed how they were followed to England by a mysterious Chinaman, whose undoubted mission was to avenge the robbery and to obtain possession of the book. At this moment he paused, and I found an opportunity of asking him whether he had the book in his possession now. Would you care to see it? he inquired. If so, I will show it to you. Our answering in the affirmative, he crossed to his writing table, unlocked a drawer, and took from it a small, curiously bound book pages of which were yellow with age, and the writing so faded that it was almost impossible to decipher it. And now that you have plotted and planned, and suffered so much to obtain possession of this book, what use has it been to you, I inquired, with almost a feeling of awe, for it seemed impossible that a man could have endured so much for so trifling a return. In dabbling with such matters, Nicola returned, one of the first lessons one learns is not to expect immediate result there is the collected wisdom of untold ages in that little volume and when i have mastered the secret it contains i shall like the eaters of the forbidden fruit possess a knowledge of all things good and evil replacing the book in the drawer he continued his narrative told us of his great attempt to probe the secret of existence explained to us his endeavour to put new life into a body already worn out by age I was unsuccessful in what I set out to accomplish, he said, but I advanced so far that I was able to restore the man his youth again. What I failed to do was to give him the power of thought or will. It was the brain that was too much for me, that vital part of man without which he is nothing. I have mastered that secret, I shall try again, and then perhaps I shall succeed. But there is much to be accomplished first. Only I know how much. I looked at him in amazement. Was he jesting, or did he really suppose that it was possible for him, or for any other son of man, to restore youth, and by doing so to prolong life perpetually? Yet he spoke with all his usual earnestness, and seemed as convinced of the truth of what he said as if he were narrating some well-known fact, 
I did not know what to think. At last, seeing the bewilderment on our faces, I suppose, he smiled, and rising from his chair, reminded us that if we had been bored, we had only ourselves to thank for it. He accordingly changed the conversation by inquiring whether we had made any arrangements for that evening. I replied that so far as I knew we had not, whereupon he came forward with a proposition. In that case, he said, if you will allow me to act as your guide to Venice, I think I could show you a side of the city you've never seen before. I know her as thoroughly as any man living, and I think I may safely promise you that your party will spend an interesting couple of hours. What have you to say to my proposal? Quite sure we shall be delighted, I replied though not without certain misgivings. But I think I had better not decide until I've seen my wife, if she's made no other arrangements. But what hour shall we start? At what time do you dine? he inquired. At seven o'clock, I replied. Perhaps we might be able to persuade you to give us the pleasure of your company. I thank you, he answered. But I fear I must decline, however. I am hermit-like in my habits so far as meals are concerned. If you'll allow me, I will call for you, shall we say, half-past eight? The moon will have risen by that time, and we should spend a most enjoyable evening. Half-past eight, I said, unless you hear to the contrary. And then rose from my chair. Glenbarth followed my example, and we accordingly bade Nicola good-bye. Despite our protest, he insisted on accompanying us down the great staircase to the courtyard below, his terrible cap following close upon his heels. Hailing a gondola, we bade the man take us back to our hotel. For some minutes after we had said good-bye to Nicola, we sat in silence as the boat skimmed over the placid water. "'Well, what is your opinion of Nicola now?' I said, as we turned from the Rio del Consiglio into the Grand Canal once more. "'Has he grown any more commonplace, do you think, since you last saw him?' "'On the contrary, he's stranger than ever,' Glenbarth replied. "'I have never met any other man who resembled him in the slightest degree. What a ghastly story that was!' His dramatic telling of it made it appear so real that, towards the end of it, I was almost convinced I could hear the groans of the poor wretch in the pit below, and see the woman wringing her hands and moaning in the room which we were sitting. Why he should have told it to us is what I cannot understand. Neither can I make out what his reasons can be for living in that house. Nicola's actions are like himself, entirely inexplicable, he answered. But that he has, some motive beyond the desire he expressed for peace and quiet, I have not the shadow of a doubt. And now, with regard to tonight, said the Duke, I am afraid, a little pettishly, I was surprised when you accepted his offer. Do you think Lady Hatteras and Miss Trevor will care about such an excursion? That is a question I cannot answer at present, I replied. We must leave it to them to decide. For my own part, I can scarcely imagine anything more interesting. When we reached Galaghetti's, I informed my wife and Miss Trevor of Nicola's offer half expecting that the latter, from the manner in which she had behaved at the mere mention of his name that morning, would decline to accompany us, and therefore the excursion would fall through. To my surprise, however, she did nothing of the kind. She fell in with the idea at once, and, so far as we could see, without reluctance of any kind. There was nothing for it, therefore, under these circumstances, but for me to fall back upon the old commonplace and declare that women are difficult creatures to understand. End of chapter 2